This morning we're taking a break, a brief break from Luke's gospel. And the text for the sermon is going to be in Ephesians, if you want to turn there. Ephesians 4, looking at verses 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, Father, as we approach your word, I pray that the Spirit would take this word, reveal it, the meaning of it to our hearts. Father, that it would personally encourage us, convict us, bring us to greater faith and faithfulness in our lives. Father, I pray that uh, you would work. We know that apart from your work, through the Spirit, through your Word, that our efforts would be of no avail. And so, Lord, we confess our dependence upon you this morning. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, uh, as is Scott said, we're taking a break from Luke. This might be one of the easiest sermons I've ever written uh, because it's been on my heart for three months, probably. I've been wanting to uh, share this with you. I've had these texts uh, running through my mind. Uh, as I consider the circumstances the Lord has us in, at this point in time in the world, in our country, in our church body. And so I pray that uh, the Lord would use this for His glory. And I want to be, begin by asking a question. And as I ask this question, the point is not to convict for the point of making you feel bad. But it's more like an exhortation to something incredible. Uh, a gift maybe that's been neglected. A treasure that maybe you've been holding on to that you have 
been taken for granted. And so the question is this, have you been leaning in or have you been leaning out? Have you been leaning in to the church or have you been leaning away from the church? That's the question. And a few weeks ago, I was reading in Matthew chapter 24, and in verse 3, right after Jesus was speaking to the disciples how destruction will come upon Jerusalem, and he's speaking of uh, the end times, he says this, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So that's the question. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered them. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then here's what really struck me. Verse 10. And then many will fall away. Many will become apostate. The Greek word is pointing to those who are claiming to be Christians, but they'll deny the faith in the end. In these times of trouble, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase in the world, lawlessness, rebellion against authority will increase. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. And as I read that, I thought, how would our church do? the flock that's been entrusted to me and to the elders. How would we do if we are living in the end times? We don't know. Most generations have thought it's their generation. I understand that. But my question is this, how would we do? Would the love of many in this congregation grow cold? Unfortunately, across the country, this last year and a half, the love of many has grown cold. Even among many of the heroes that I looked up to in the faith, conferences I went to 10 years ago, the leaders now opposed to each other, now speaking in ways to each other, which betrays the love of Christ that He's given them. If it can happen to them and they have the big God theology that this church has, how would we stand? Would our love grow cold? Would hatred build up in our hearts as our country experiences a polarizing instability? That's been the question of my heart. That's been what I've been wondering. 
what I've been praying for you for. And I am so encouraged when I read like Acts 12, 4, and 5 when Peter gets arrested. It says when they had seized him, they put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers and guarding him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Herod arrested. He's already killed James. Now he's going to kill Peter right after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. His murder is planned at this point in time, but the church is praying and they're together. And then the angel comes as he's chained to two soldiers on both sides, impossible situation. It's like the angel nudges him or kicks him and says, get up. Come on, we're, we're getting out of here. The chains fall off. He walks right by the guards. He doesn't even know if this is a dream or a vision. He gets out in the street. The angel's gone, and he realizes it really happened. And then I love in verse 12, it says, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary and the mother of John, whose name was Mark, and they were gathered to and they were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda, she became famous, came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, "Are you out of your mind?" But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying. It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. And you had a church that was together and a church that was praying, and you had Christians that were okay, even though the world was not okay around them. And that's encouraging. Psalm, Psalm 2 says this, Why did the nations rage? And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he'll speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So David prophesied that there would be a king and the nations would rage against him, but he would be set on his holy hill. And the question is this, are you resting in Christ, this king, as the nations rage? Are you in the middle of the rage? Are you raging yourself? And what we're going to see in our text is Partly what will determine whether or not you're resting in Christ is your relationship to the body of Christ. We're going to see that connection in our text. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. The charge of this message is walk worthy of the calling to which you were called, which we're going to see in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. So whenever we see Paul say, I therefore, what do we have to do? We have to ask, why is the therefore, therefore? What has he just said? In Paul's letters, he has rich reminding, rich theology, reminding Christians of what Christ has done for them. And then there will be a hinge point where he'll say, therefore, in light of the mercies of God, that's what he says in Romans 12, that's the hinge point. In light of all this, now go live 
like this. So we have an application text before us. And if we're going to just take a quick glance at what he's just said, look at Ephesians 3, starting in verse 7. Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So, Paul's ministry, he was called to it. He was given it. It was given to him by power. He didn't decide, oh, I wonder what I want to do. It was given to him by God. And what he was given to do is to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring delight to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, don't miss this, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So Paul is given the task to preach the gospel. How is this, all these covenant promises going to be fulfilled? Well, they're fulfilled in Christ. The mystery's been revealed. Paul's to take this to the Gentiles and and show them how they can become a part of the people of God right along with the Jews who trust in Christ. And the church is so amazing that one of the purposes of it is to make the rulers and authorities, the angels and the demons, go, wow, God's wisdom is unsearchable. Do you realize what the church is? If you've been leaning away, have you considered texts like this? Have you asked questions and wondered why the rulers and authorities would be amazed at this, that this gospel were sinners in rebellion to God, that God would send His Son, take on human flesh just like them, except without sin, die in their place. The rebels get the inheritance of the Son who lived perfectly, and the Son takes the punishment. That's incredible. And then He says, In verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And then Paul says this, and this is what leads into our text. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So why is Paul praying for them? from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, how rich is that? That's rich. He might grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Why? So that that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that Christ may sit down in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. The prayer is is that Christ would sit down in their hearts because they have strength to comprehend something that's incomprehensible apart from supernatural strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, don't miss this, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that's what leads into our text when he says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy in light of the fact that there's power living inside the Christian where God can give victory beyond what we even know to ask or think. But that effort, that walking, is not walk because it's just right. That walking comes out of a heart that's been supernaturally opened up to be in awe and to start to comprehend the gospel, the the love of Christ. And so when I ask you, are you leaning in or leaning out? And if you say in your mind, I've been leaning out, I'm telling you the solution is not pick yourself up by your bootstraps, become more obedient because it's the right thing to do. The solution is pray. Have people pray for you. That your love for Christ will grow. That your love for Him will go beyond human ability to comprehend His love. And when that happens, when your love for Christ grows, your love for the church grows, and now it's not a duty, but it's a privilege because you see the gift that God has given us of the church body And then, as we're going to see in this text, the gifts He's given you. See, you're stewards. We've talked about being good stewards of God's money, right? We don't own anything. It's God's. We'll give an account for how we've used our resources to Christ. We will. That won't be the grounds of our salvation, but we will give an account. You are born again and you have been given material things, but you've also been given spiritual things. You've been gifted by the Spirit, and you'll either squander those gifts, those gifts are meant to build up the body, or you won't. And my prayer is, is that you treasure what God has given you in Christ. So let's pick up, I therefore a prisoner, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Notice there's a calling that you've all, that's on all your lives. Did you know that? You're either walking in faithfulness according to that calling. Maybe you're walking in ignorance to that calling. Or maybe you're walking in rebellion to that calling. And we've been called to walk with this heart-like type of attitude, with all humility and gentleness. As you approach Christ's church that He bled and died for with His own blood, listen, Christians, don't be so arrogant to approach the body of Christ in pride. Come with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another. Why? That's because Christians sin against each other a lot. We're not perfected yet. And so this is how we are to walk. And then in verse 3 it says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Here's what you need to know. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The key word is maintain. He doesn't tell the church, hey, be unified. 
Become unified. Become something that you're not. But what does Paul say? Maintain the unity that's been accomplished in Jesus Christ. What we've just read in chapter 3 is that the hostility between Jews and Gentiles, that dividing wall has been brought down. That hostility has been killed is the language of chapter 3. It's accomplished. That's why it's crazy this language we're hearing that in the church, like with race and with the different divisions out there, that the church needs to unify together under these things. We need to become unified. No, we are unified. And it's in Christ And we need to maintain that unity, not preach a division that isn't there. Yes, you can harm the unity that is there because of Christ, because of sin. And this text is saying, don't do that. Walk in a manner worthy of the call to which you've been called for, called to. That's what Paul always does. He says, be who you are. In Christ, He's the one that brought you from death to life. He's the one that's taken out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. And He's the one that sent the Spirit who gave you personal spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. And so then we see in verse 4, and and this is point 1 in your notes, walk in unity, understanding the diversity of Christ's gifts. Just think about that for a minute. Walk in unity. He didn't make you all the same. We're not the same in our giftedness, but we are unified in Christ. And we're to maintain that Unity. So let's see this. There is one body and one spirit. There's one body of Christ. The universal body of Christ. And there's one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. That hope is Obviously, Christ, and here again we see that we are called specifically. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there's the unity. That's what unites us in Christ. But grace was given, so now there's distinction but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Christ is giving you a gift. And there's different measures of gifts. Here's how, Roman, here's how he says it in Romans 12, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. So humble yourself. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us not neglect them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's how he says it in 1 Corinthians uh, Seven, seven. I wish that all were as myself, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Or in 1 Corinthians 12.4, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. 
And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What? What for? For the common good. We've all been given a measure of the gift of the Spirit. We've been gifted differently. A different measure of faith. We're different. But we're unified in Christ. And then he says, this is incredible, back to verse 8 of Ephesians uh, 4. Therefore it says, so we just looked at Christ's gift, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, and he's quoting Psalm 68, 18, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. All right? Psalm 68 is a victory hymn of David to celebrate God's conquest of the Jebusite city of Jerusalem and the triumphant ascent up to Mount Zion, the presence of the Lord filling the temple in Zion. So the picture is a king who's had a great victory. And when a king would have a great victory, what would happen is he would come with his prisoners and then people would give him gifts, give the king gifts. They want to get on his good side, the surrounding nations. Uh, Those who are in his kingdom want to bring the king gifts. So two fundamental things are happening when a king wins a victory. Prisoners are brought captive and gifts are given to the king. And Paul takes this text and he just changes it a little bit. He's talking about a better king than just an earthly king. Because the way he quotes it is he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. (laughs) So this king, who he's saying is Christ, has won a decisive victory and he's leading a host of captives. It's debated what that means. Is, is, is this demonic prisoners that are now defeated? Or maybe more likely, he's, whole, he, he's won prisoners from Satan and they're now prisoners of Christ. Except Christ is the perfect king. Paul starts this text by saying, I a prisoner of Christ. You see, he's been captivated by Christ. He's been captured by Christ. So I want you to imagine something. What if you had a grandpa, and maybe you did, that was so special to you, so meaningful in your life, and on his deathbed, he said to you, you know, I have a very special gift for you that I want to give to you. Out of all the things I could give you, I want to give this to you. Imagine if you took that gift and just said, forget grandpa's gift. Who cares about grandpa's gift? Well, do you realize what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying, there's a king that won the best victory there's ever been won on this earth. He won a victory for souls for all eternity. Not only did he win the victory, but as he ascended into heaven, he gave gifts to men that he might fulfill all. That somehow through these gifts, through this church, the glory of God is going to spread across this earth. His gospel is going to go. The angels are going to look at this church and they're going to worship God and His wisdom. And my question is this. When I ask you, are you leaning out? The question really is, have you really understood the gift? Have you really understood the treasure of 
the body of Christ? Have you really believed that you've been called and that Christ specifically has gifted you with the purpose, the the only purpose that is given to us in Scripture for the spiritual gifts other than God being glorified in them is for the upbuilding of the body of Christ. It's not for the upbuilding of your own ego. It's not so people that tell you, oh, you're so good at this, you're so great at that, and you get the praise of man. That's not why they're given. They're given to build up the body of Christ. Has the love in your hearts been slowly been growing cold? Has the church been slowly becoming just another club or just another thing where your real life, your 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 real day life is what's the most important thing. My challenge to you, my exhortation to you is be shocked. Ponder in your beds tonight how great the gift must be if it came from Christ the King. And ask yourself, How am I doing with the gift that He's given me to build up the body of Christ? Then He says in verse 9, in saying that He ascended, what does He mean? But that He also descended into the lower regions of the earth. That means He took on flesh, the incarnation. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. He ascends to heaven. He fulfills the promises. All, all, all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And he gives gifts to men to fulfill his purpose for the church on earth. And then in verse 11, he says specifically the gifts he has in mind. He says he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Now, if you look at this in the Greek, there's not five categories, there's four. It's apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers are one category. It's clearly to see in the original language and there's much debate over whether there's prophets today it's my view that the apostles and prophets yes were blessed by them but they ceased with the early church i believe there was the office of prophet when you read the new testament and and there was times where they spoke the actual word of god that became scripture and now in the church you have evangelists and you have Shepherd teachers. And they're given as gifts. You say, boy, I bet you like preaching this sermon, Sam, being a pastor. Why are they gifts? What's what's the charge of an elder? What's one of the fundamental things they do? They preach Christ. Evangelists preach Christ to the unbelieving That's their main focus. Main focus of a pastor is to preach Christ to the church. What is Paul praying for? That the people comprehend who Christ is, what Christ has done for them. That's why they're gifts. It's not because of anything in and of themselves, but it's the task that they've been given to lift up Christ, to hold Him before the people, that they can love Him, that they can have the love of Christ. You don't go worship Paul. If you want to know why Paul did what he did, what does he say? The love of Christ was poured into me. If you want to understand what I do, you got to understand a foreign love came into my life that can overflow to you, the body. And what's their job? And this is under point two in your notes. Walk in a way that builds the church up in love. So the job of these leaders is to equip the saints for what? The work of ministry. 
You don't hire elders to do the ministry to be done in the church. They're equippers of the saints. And the church is not built up with just good pastors. It won't work. Faithful pastors that just preach the word without a congregation that's being equipped and growing in their love for Christ and love for one another, there will not be a mature church body. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, how long should this go on for? Until we all attain the unity of the faith. Is this church perfectly unified? We might find out more after our meeting today. I don't think we've obtained perfect unity yet. Can we talk to one another with humility and gentleness and love and share different opinions and find unity in Christ? Yes, we can. We might not ever agree on certain things, but we shall be able we should be able to obtain the unity that is found in Christ. Until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's how unity comes. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be... So, so when Christ is so clearly seen and taught and the people are equipped, this congregation isn't going to be tossed to and fro by the waves of our, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking truth in love. Now this is the believers to each other. You're called to be equipped, and when you're equipped to speak the truth to one another in love. Rather, speaking truth and love, we are to grow up. The idea is don't be children, tossed to and fro, arguing, fighting, selfishness, pride, egotism, always assuming the worst of the brothers. We're to bear one another with in love. We're to think the best of people, assume the best until it's proven different. How often we assume the worst of motives. Rather speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, if I was going to pick one verse for this sermon, it's going to be verse 16, from whom the whole body, so get the picture, Christ is the head, we're to grow up into Him, alright, you got that picture in your mind? Now from Him, from whom, he's speaking to Christ, the whole body is joined. So the body is unified when we're believing right things about Christ. That's what joins us together. And held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That's speaking of the gifts. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's the thing. If you've been leaning out, you have not been growing to maturity. It's a fact. God decided how He would bring about maturity. And He brings about maturity when each part is working properly. Meaning, everyone is leaning in. If we looked at 1 Corinthians, the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. I can do it on my own. What's a hand with no body? Nothing. You cannot grow in the type of knowledge of Christ and love leaning away from the body of Christ. I don't care how much you know, you're not growing to maturity. Verse 16 is clear as a bell. Because it says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up 
in love. When we're seeing the greatness of the love of Christ, that love gets poured in our hearts and then we look at each other and we love each other with the love of Christ. That's when a congregation is mature, maturing. There's no congregation on earth that's there that get to be done with this text, right? Until we obtain the unity of faith. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 4.8, and then we're bringing this to a close. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love looks at the sinner and covers the sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it. You see, it's so clear. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, there Peter says there's two categories of gifts. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. And I know one of the main questions I'm going to get is what's one of my gifts? My first challenge back to you is this. Lean into the love of Christ. Gain a love for the body. You'll figure out your gift. When you look at that body and you love that body, you start asking yourself every day, how, how Lord can I serve? How Lord can I minister to this body of Christ? Don't wait till you know what it is. Lean in with love towards Christ. Let other people help you. See how you best fit into the body of Christ. So as the nations rage, let's gather. Let's present Christ to each other. Let boldness come and confidence come as we pray with each other. Wednesday nights, what do the adults do? We open a text of Scripture. We split off at different tables. Everyone has the same text, and I give you a list of questions. And the body of Christ, individuals at that table, are reading the text, looking at the questions, and discussing the Word of God, and ministering to one another. That's what we're doing Wednesday nights. Come. Come to it. Bring your children. We thought through how we can present the Scripture to your children over the course of a certain amount of number of years and get through the Scripture. And Scott has a rotation of what he's taking the high school kids through. Old Testament, New Testament, doctrine. What am I missing? That's about it. Let's gather together. So, What's in front of us? Here's our circumstances. The world's not stable around you. And I hope I'm wrong. I'm not trying to prophesy, but I got a sneaking suspicion that's not going to get easier on the church. It's not going to get easier on you. And there's going to be a million opportunities for your love to grow cold amongst your families, with all the different opinions you can have in this world, amongst each other. We're at a transition point in our church. Everybody knows picking carpet color and this and that. What's the joke? Now you're going to split your church in half. You know, this is going to divide you. This is going to kill you. So there's a circumstance that's on our plane. We have a town that largely sees a very flickering light. And we're a city. You're not an individual light. You're a city that's to be on a hill 
proclaiming to this town the hope of the gospel. That's a circumstance sitting in our lap. And I'd be lying to you if I didn't say as elders, we've been overwhelmed as we look at all that sits before us. And I can tell you where our hope comes. Our hope comes in that we're not the main plan. The church is built through the gospel, Christ's word. There is no church apart from the gospel. It's Christ's church. When he ascended into heaven, he gave us his word. He gave us his spirit. And you all are given gifts. And so while I don't see how it all works out, I believe as the, we lean in, God will work beyond what we can imagine and think. For His glory, for your good, that God might be glorified in this body. And that's my prayer. My prayer is, is that you lean in. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we would lean in in such a way so that when you do come, we wouldn't shrink back and say, oh, I should have been living my life for Christ. But then when you come out of the sky, what we will be thinking is I've been leaning in to what he left and what he left is his word and his people gathered together in churches. I've been leaning in to the call that I've been called to. Father, I pray that you would bring about faithfulness, that it wouldn't be a burden, but it would be a privilege, that we would treasure the gifts of the Spirit above any earthly gift because it's a gift that comes directly from Christ. And so, Father, we praise your name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.